This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, what's up everybody? Chris Trapasso here from cbssports.com. You are listening to episode 11 of the Prospect Podcast. Today is Thursday, November 14th, a day later than I normally record this podcast. Everything kind of got pushed back a day after Veterans Day, and I want to take a quick second to thank all the active military members, all the retired military members for their service for this country. You're probably expecting me to talk about Joe Burrow, but instead of boring you with more of the same praise over his ridiculously impressive effort in the win over Alabama, leading that team to 46 points in Tuscaloosa was unprecedented. It was the game of the year. I don't see how another performance tops that unless these two teams somehow play again in the college football playoff. Maybe Clemson could be a team that could give either LSU or Alabama a similar type match in terms of just their overall talent. But I actually want to talk about Tua Tagovailoa, that for as impressed as I was with Joe Burrow in that game, I thought Tua Tagovailoa made a handful of really quality throws, scoring 41 points against a very good LSU defense in a game that saw him complete only 52.5% of his passes, 21 of 40. He had the four touchdowns. The interception before the half didn't read that underneath linebacker, and I do think that's a little bit of a problem for Tagovailoa that he can lock on to a target over the middle and not realize that there are other zone defenders, especially underneath, who can sink and make an interception. The wheel route touchdown to Najee Harris as Alabama kind of mounted its comeback was awesome. The two long balls to Devonta Smith. There was a really good throw on a third and long to Jerry Judy over the middle. The pocket patience, which if you've listened to this podcast, follow me on Twitter, read my writing, my evaluations, on CBSSports.com, you know how important pocket patience is to me. Just that ability to stand in a clean pocket. That it seems like it would be easy. And when there isn't a pass rush that every quarterback would just wait and wait and wait and scan the field, the vast majority of quarterbacks, college and the NFL level, have that clock go off in their head and they leave clean pockets and they shorten the play, they shorten the area that they can throw the football 
and Tua Tagovailoa was very calm and patient against a pretty good pass rush that I think Alabama's offensive line is good. Kalevon Chasen had a good game for LSU, created a lot of pressure. There was interior pressure. Not only was Tagovailoa patient, but he drifted away from pressure, got through his reads across the entire field. So that is a game that I think we'll look back and say, oh, he was outshined by Joe Burrow, which maybe he was to a certain degree. Look at the statistics, say, wow, after being over 60% in every other game this season and having a few games in the 80% completion range, 50% must have been a terrible game for Tagovailo, and I really don't think it was. That throw to bring it within five points near the end of the game to Devonta Smith was an outstanding deep ball, and I, I, I've been wanting to see that from Tagovailoa, that he hit some of those long plays, a lot of those long balls last year to wide-open receivers, and this year I think the deep ball accuracy really wasn't there, that there was a lot of misses down the field early in the season that we kind of glossed over because Alabama was scoring so many points and he was hitting those intermediate throws, but to hit those long balls, to have the, those bucket throws down the field on his film resume, let's call it, um, was a big plus for me. So Tua Tagovailoa, hats off to you in your performance in the loss to LSU. Another quarterback quickly that I want to talk about, Jamie Newman from Wake Forest. Uh, last week I did an in-depth scouting feature on him as the best-kept secret at quarterback in potentially the 2020 class. He's only a redshirt junior. This is only his first year as a starter for the Demon Deacons. But Google Chris Trapasso, Jamie Newman, CBS Sports, and you will get that article. There's a bunch of film gifts in there to show how impressed I've been with how polished of a player he is at the quarterback spot only being a one-year starter. A lot of the things I just talked about with Tagovailoa, pocket patience, pocket drifting, accuracy, down the field, ripping the ball through tight windows at the intermediate level, which I think is a really good indicator of how good a quarterback is and how successful he will be. Um, he had, similar to Tagovailoa, they, his team lost over the weekend to Virginia Tech on the road. They were ranked number 19th. Virginia Tech was not ranked, um, and he completed under 50% of his passes, around 45%, and threw two interceptions, two touchdowns, so you could say, wow, you know, he finally came back to earth a little bit because he's been outstanding this season as a pocket passer, and he's flashed some really impressive running ability as well. But going back to rewatch the game, there were five to seven wow throws, as usual, 15 to 30, 40 yards down the field. Sage Sherratt, um, his star wide receiver, got hurt late in that game, diving to recover a ball that he fumbled. But Jamie Newman had a lot of third and longs, a lot of impressive tight window throws, had two touchdowns to Sage Sherratt in that game. So it was another performance similar to Tagovailoa's that was not as bad as the numbers really would indicate that you would say, if this is a 50 percentile game, if this is a 45% completion game, it's terrible. But it really wasn't. His two interceptions, he was being hit as he threw on the first one, and it was a really creative zone blitz. The defensive tackle was actually dropping into coverage, kind of threw it right to him. And the second interception from Jamie Newman against Virginia Tech um, was on the last drive of the game. They were down by multiple touchdowns. Um, held the ball a little bit too long, again, was hit as he threw, and the ball kind of just popped up in the air 
gimme interception for the Hokies defender. So it wasn't like two bad decisions or two errant throws down the field that were intercepted because of those reasons. So Jamie Newman overall this season has been the breakout quarterback prospect. I've written about him last week and then today in the, in the article that just came out, my draft crushes, I put him at the bottom um, as just someone that I have a crush on right now as a draft prospect. I don't know if he's going to declare. No one's really sure. I've talked to some people affiliated um, with covering Wake Forest. They weren't really sure either. No one was really expecting this good of a redshirt junior year from Newman, um, but he's eligible, so I'm I'm watching him and I'm uh, evaluating him. So him and uh, Tua Tagovailoa, Jamie Newman, had really good games over the week. Maybe not really good, but they had quality performances in games that the stat book would say were just not very good. All right, moving over to my big board segment now. I want to talk about a cornerback from Oregon, um, Thomas Graham. He's another one that I listed in my Draft Crush article, which is up now on CBSSports.com. I don't know why he's not getting more love. I graded him last night, and he graded right smack dab in the middle of my first round right now. He's 5'11", around 190, 195 pounds, so he doesn't have the prototypical boundary cornerback size, but he's as twitchy as any of these top cornerback prospects, maybe besides Jeffrey Akuda. From Ohio State, he was the number 11 cornerback prospect as a recruit in 2017. He had three picks, a couple pass breakups as a true freshman for the Ducks. Last year as a sophomore, 18 pass breakups, three more interceptions. He has a pick this year, seven pass breakups. He can play in the slot. He's agile enough. He's very aware when the ball is approaching that he doesn't let balls sail over his shoulder, over his helmet, um, gets his hands up, very feisty, impressed man, has the mirroring ability to follow double moves down the field, to follow more intricate routes because he's such a good athlete and he understands uh, the nuances of route running. So Thomas Graham is rising and has already risen up my draft board um, as someone that checks a lot of the boxes for me. I like to see the twitchiness, the, the click and close ability in zone, the ability to mirror, which all comes from just having supreme athleticism, which he does. And then even more so important than that, ball skills. That you can be a great cover guy, but if you can never find the football to get your hands on it or to intercept it, you're going to be a liability at the NFL level when you're facing these you know, top 1% out of the top 1% at the receiver spot. Thomas Graham from Oregon, to me, is someone uh, that is really moving up my draft board. And I think, pretty sure, once we get really into draft season, if he decides to declare as a true junior, um, one of the best, we'll be talking about him as one of the best cornerbacks in what is a very deep class at the position. All right, wide receiver watch. Want to talk about just the overall depth that we've seen. Um, that was really my highlighted feature in this week's wide receiver watch that I put up on CBSSports.com. It used to be on Wednesdays, now it's on Mondays. Um, or it used to be Tuesdays, now it's on Monday. Tyler Johnson from Minnesota, I feel like I talk about him every week. He was so good along with his teammate Rashad Bateman, who's not draft eligible, he's only a sophomore against Penn State, had over 100 yards, had a ridiculous one-arm, left-hand 
catch down the sideline where he really couldn't use his right hand whatsoever and kind of cradled the ball up against his pack and his shoulder for a touchdown. The yards after the catchability is there every single game. Occasionally a concentration drop, but not anything that looks like he doesn't know how to catch a football because he does have good ball skills down the field. I don't know how well he's going to test. I don't know how high he's going to jump or how far his broad jump is going to be. But this is someone that has been high-level productive since his sophomore year. He's now a senior. He probably would have gone the fourth or the fifth round last year. I think he's trending toward being um, a first or a second-round pick at this point. And, and if a team, a contender, feels like they're one playmaker away from really taking that next step, picking in the late 20s, I think Tyler Johnson would make a lot of sense. Certainly still some more games to play, important ones for this um, undefeated Minnesota team, Iowa this weekend. They'll probably get Ohio State um, as well. They play Wisconsin. But passing that test against Penn State, a team that has produced a lot of high-level athletes under James Franklin over the past couple years, came in with a really good defense. Minnesota shredded it, and it was mostly due to Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson. So remember that name in the draft. He, it's, he's not going to be picked or receive as much hype as Jerry Judy, as LaVisca Chanel, as T. Higgins. Um, but Tyler Johnson is one of the best wide receiver prospects in this class. Speaking of, I just said T. Higgins. I think he's kind of become a little bit underrated. That Clemson has kind of cruised to this undefeated record outside of that North Carolina game, but haven't really had that marquee game, a primetime contest against a top-tier club, because the ACC as a whole is down a little bit. Florida State's down, NC State's down, two programs that have kind of been neck and neck to a certain degree with Clemson at times, winning a lot of games. Meanwhile, Alabama's played in big games. Um, there's just been a, a lot of the other prospects that are near the top. Um, C.D. Lamb at Oklahoma played in some big games, um, had some just wow performances running down the football field after catching a short pass. T. Higgins, every week, four or five catches, around 100 yards, catches a touchdown. And at six foot four and 215 pounds, he has the size that guys like Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, even C.D. Lamb, who's a little bigger, do not have. So it's become an NFL where separation is king and being that smaller, twitchier, quicker wide receiver is seemingly what most of the league wants out of their wide receivers. But T. Higgins is not this sluggish chain mover. He almost every week catches a ball down the field from Trevor Lawrence. He's very good using his hands and his smoothness as an athlete to beat press at the line. He's going to get press being that size. Um, Awesome body control, very strong, natural hands. I mean, that back shoulder that he and Trevor Lawrence have worked a lot the last two seasons is basically unstoppable. He just has the ability to jump, look behind him, and snatch the ball if it's right in his chest or if it's above his head. And after the catch, he's going to take a little bit more time to, to get to top speed than someone like a Jerry Judy or certainly a Henry Ruggs um, or even Devonta Smith. Uh, but he has good long speed as well. So T. Higgins may not play in a truly high-profile game, 
until the college football playoff, but he is still my number two wide receiver. CeeDee Lamb, to most people, has moved into that number two spot behind Jerry Judy, but T. Higgins, to me, checks a few more boxes. Maybe they're luxury boxes um, in the sense that he's you don't have to be six foot four and 215 pounds to succeed in the NFL, but he just checks up a few more of those extra boxes than any other wide receiver in this class, maybe outside of Brian Edwards from South Carolina, who's a good player. He's 6'3 and 215, um, not as explosive as T. Higgins, but all the rest. Jalen Rager from TCU, smaller. Jerry Judy, 6'1", six six Henry Ruggs, 6'1", six six around 180, 190 pounds. LaVisca Chenault's bigger, but 6'2", 225. He's more built um, like a running back or almost like an H-back. But T. Higgins just has that prototypical play him on the outside. And what Clemson's done occasionally is put him as a big slot receiver. Because he's so sleek, he can beat press. He understands how to do it. It's not just with a crossover move. He knows how to use his hands. I think the wide receivers coming out of Clemson for the most part, have been very clean prospects when it comes to the nuances of playing the position, and T. Higgins certainly is that. All right, last segment of the day, young NFL players. I have to talk about the quarterbacks. Every week at CBSSports.com, I do first and second year quarterback evaluations. Every week I watch every single throw. Um, and just want to talk about quickly, just kind of speak to Lamar Jackson, on the season right now for me is a B minus and he's trending. He's very close to earning that B label, but he's a B minus right now. And, and there's a, a lot of people, which I totally understand this are wondering how is he only a B minus? How is he not an A? How is he not an A plus? Think about it. A quarterback, even over eight, eight nine, ten 10 games to be at an A for the season basically means very, very few mistakes or mispasses. I don't know if there is a quarterback, maybe Russell Wilson, maybe Patrick Mahomes, that this season would be in that A category. And um, and certainly, if they would be, it would probably be an A-. minus. Um, there have been games against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Ravens lost that game, but it was kind of a high-flying affair against with Mahomes against Jackson. Lamar Jackson missed five or six downfield throws in that game to open receivers. That game really could have been won by Baltimore, kind of running away from it. There's been, and there were two throws in that game as well where he just kind of tossed them up and they were miracles and both got caught by his receivers. They could have been easily intercepted and were really bad decisions. Against New England, I need to talk about this too. Lamar Jackson was not outstanding in that game. The Ravens as a whole, their run defense, the pass blocking, certainly the running game, their pass defense against Tom Brady in the second half was outstanding. Lamar Jackson himself, a lot of schemed short throws to wide open wide receivers off bootlegs, just quick throws into the flat that got them into second and medium um, or got them to third and one and then they were able to kind of just run the ball down the Patriots' throat. One throw down the seam, maybe close to the numbers, to Mark Andrews. That was a back shoulder. Really good pass. Mark Andrews made a great adjustment on the football like he's done often in his first two years with the Ravens. was the best throw that Lamar Jackson had in that game. And there was 
really only one or two high-quality scrambles. I think the threat of Lamar Jackson probably played a role in the Ravens running the football so well, but there was a, a, a scramble late in the game that he picked up 11 yards, made a couple defenders miss. That was the highlight real play. That was really the only one. There was a lot of one, two, three-yard gains that went nowhere. I thought last week against the Cincinnati Bengals, certainly a team with, let's just say, not as good of a defense as the New England Patriots, I thought Lamar Jackson was considerably better as a passer. There was five, six, seven impressive big-time throws at the intermediate level down the field, start of the game. Uh, with a perfect strike to Marquise Brown down the field, had a touchdown to Mark Andrews, thrown into the end zone, very tight window, almost had one later that Mark Andrews couldn't hold on to, so really wasn't knocking Lamar Jackson for that. Then had the long 47-yard score um, that was probably the best run I've seen from a quarterback, certainly on a touchdown in a very, very long time. Spin move in there, made six or seven Cincinnati Bengals defenders miss. I actually gave Lamar Jackson an A-plus for that game. And to get an A-plus, I went into it thinking, I don't know if I'll ever see an A-plus. First game of the season against the Miami Dolphins, Lamar Jackson got an A-plus. Got his second one against the Cincinnati Bengals. So you, it would be easy to look at the stats or look at the differences in the quality of the teams and say, oh, Lamar Jackson was just as good or maybe a little bit not as good against the Patriots as he was against the Cincinnati Bengals, but to me it wasn't even close. So that's what why I'm, I'm grateful that I have this opportunity to watch every single throw, every single play from first and second year quarterbacks to truly get a genuine handle on how these quarterbacks are playing. That a lot of times interceptions are tipped, they're dropped, a lot of times uh, there are touchdowns that are dropped. You have to factor everything in just distilling it down to what did the quarterback do on this play. Lamar Jackson is my highest rated quarterback. He's at a B minus. When I've translated it over to numbers, he is my highest overall grade, and it's very close to being a B, and I'm expecting it to continue to move forward and, and, and be better as the season progresses. But that's just a little bit inside why Lamar Jackson is only at a B minus right now and why I thought, against the New England Patriots, um, he wasn't as good as he was against the Cincinnati Bengals. You can read both of those articles um, on my author uh, archive at cbssports.com. Just look for the grading the next generation of quarterbacks from week nine against the uh, New England Patriots, or actually week eight, and then this past week against the Cincinnati Bengals. Just get the full rundown of what I thought about Lamar Jackson's performance. All right, that'll do it today for me. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you for listening to the Prospect Podcast.